Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he in us, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. But whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's our reading today from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And the way you heard it today without having it in front of you to read is the way the people who first heard it received it as a letter written to them, probably in the region of Ephesus. They heard those words. They didn't read them in some text. They heard them spoken to them in much the manner we did this morning. Love. Press repeat. Love, press repeat. Love, press repeat. John mentions love a total of 43 times in the entire letter of 1 John. But in these 15 verses, we find 27 of those 43 times that he mentions love. But in the heart of this heart of 1 John, we find one verse that for me, in some ways, is the keystone. These words from verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What are you afraid of? Can you name that today? Who are you afraid of? Many things seem to go bump in the night of our fears. Sometimes those fears are irrational. Sometimes those fears are birthed in real life experience. 
Perhaps our fear of some circumstances come out of our need to control because of our fearful upbringing that seemed to be out of control. Maybe our fear of rejection comes out of a deep woundedness in us from past hurt. Maybe our fears of those who are different than us spring from our lack of experience with those who are different than us. Or perhaps a caricature of what we think they're like. In these days, I think the increase of social media attentiveness and the news cycle of a given day increases anxiety and fear exponentially. When we get so locked in those narratives, I think the levels of anxiety and fear turn up. And then we all have to face down the fear of death. Every one of us faces that down. Today's text is long. 15 verses in the heart of 1 John. I made this statement last week about this whole idea that we're seeing in John. The culture of Jesus injects within the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. And in some ways, this is the heart of this letter from John. And I think these words bear this out. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I wish I could stand up here and say to you that I've got this down. That, that I've nailed this verse of Scripture. I mean, I think there's some verses of Scripture we go, oh yeah, I get that one. I wish I could stand up here and say, I've got 1 John 4.18 nailed. But I confess to you, I don't. And I do. Because that's part of that journey of growing in Him. But I read these words and I think that we discover this, that we have found the treasure that is the remedy to fear. And the grace that will allow us to live fearlessly for and like Jesus. Honestly, if you would just read these passages, this passage of scripture, just read it for what it is. It kind of just tells the story. But let me share with you a couple thoughts. The first is this. I think this is an invitation for us to live with a fearless knowledge. A fearless knowledge. John is seasoned in the fear of being hunted down for his faith and dealing with an uncertain future. We are dealing with an uncertain future in regular times, but especially now. Some suggest that John may have actually written this, these letters from the island of Patmos where he had been exiled for his faith, where he had been completely cut off from those whom he loved. He couldn't have any contact, social distance to a whole different level, completely cut off. So this is someone who has known the attack of fear. And yet John also knew something else. He, he knew what many say is the most often promise presented in the Bible from God. In Isaiah, we hear it this way. So do not fear, for I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So do not not fear. We hear it over and over and over again in the Bible. In the New Testament, we hear these words from Paul the Apostle. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. That was one of the first verses of scripture I learned driving a forklift in a Navy warehouse. In this this version, we have not received the spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but we receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We did not receive a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear. But do you see it? It is this relationship with God, not built on fear, but built on relationship. Knowing God in Christ, we no longer have to be afraid of the dark night of sin and death and life. And that is the other side of Easter. But I think Henry Nouwen gets to the point when he says this. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. And here it is. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. Hear that again. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of your existence, of my existence. And that's the entire point for the Apostle John in his writing. In verse 16, And so we know and we rely on the love of God, the love God has for us, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. Do you know and do you rely on the love that God has for you? Some days, that's all I have. Some days, I'm not so sure what I know. Some days, I'm not so sure what I know about tomorrow. Some days, all I know is that God loves me and I love him. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. Because we know it and we lay claim to this as a fact of life, we do not have to fear our place with God. We do not have to fear our place in the world. We are invited to live in freedom, seeking to praise, love, and serve God, and as a result, loving others. It's a a fearless knowledge to know that we're loved by God. You, You heard that great hymn we just sang, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. That is the heart of this life. Sometimes we make this Christian life so complicated. When at the heart of it, when at the core of it, is that we are the beloved of God. And we can love, serve God, and as a result, love others. But that loving others part, well, that can be a fearful thing. And so we have to then do something. 
in confronting our fear at that point of loving others, we have to take the risk. We have to take a risk to love other people. Now, what is the riskiest thing that you have done or that you want to do? Think about that. What is the riskiest thing you have done or you want to do? Well, one of the risky things that I want to do is one day I'd like to jump out of a plane, a perfectly good, normal plane, flying at high altitude. I'd like to jump out of a plane. I've always wanted to jump out of the plane. You could ask Kathleen. However, there are certain people in my life, one I just mentioned, that carry more authority than my want to. And would probably slash my tires on the way to the plane. I remember hiking the Grand Canyon with my friend Kim Richardson. And I remember we were at this one section and I went all the way to the edge. I'm going, come on, Kim. He's going, I'm not going out there. And I went to the edge, as much of an edge of the Grand Canyon you can get to anyway. And I was trying to look over and get a good view. Way down, it's, it's big, it's deep. Some would say that was risky. But the riskiest thing we could do, the greatest risk we could take, is to love one another. Is to love others. Isn't that so proven true in Scripture? Even in our Scripture today? Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A sacrifice. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Henry Nouwen goes on and he says this, to be chosen as the beloved of God is something radically different. Instead of excluding others, it includes others. You see, this text and his words show us there's a reciprocity to this. Because God loves us, we are free to love. But this reciprocity is not just our, our love for God returned to him because of his love for us. But rather, as others have said, it is human love for other humans. It is God-love-infused human love for other humans. There's no fear in love. What love? This, this God-infused love for other humans. I mean, the comparison in this passage is, is very stark. It's very clear. The love of Jesus was self-giving. He took a risk of loving others. Think about the risk Jesus took. He took that risk knowing that he, it did not necessarily mean that others would love him in return. That's the kind of risk that Jesus Christ took. And I think that's what bleeds through these pages, that love is a risky business. And the truth is, God does not always protect us from love's impact. I recently read words about a couple that was getting ready for their child to go into surgery. And they said this. 
they weren't sure how the surgery was going to turn out, but they made a decision that they had to decide that God was good before the surgery. Because if they didn't do that, every time a crisis would come, they'd put God on trial. God sometimes does not protect us from love's impact. Because when you love deeply, you will hurt deeply, especially at the point of loss. And I think some of that bleeds through there. God did not protect Jesus. We follow the one who wept at the graveside of his dear friend. And the word for wept in that shortest verse of the Bible in John eleven thirty five 35 is, is this like forcefulness of tears just pouring out. God did not protect Jesus from love's impact at his friend's grave. Jesus, the one whose heart broke over the sinful brokenness of the city of God, Jesus, the one whose love encountered nails in his hands and feet, this love is risky. No wonder it can be fearful. And Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. Remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be your children, children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? But love your enemies. I mean, this love is risky. Love your enemies? More than likely, your enemies aren't going to love you back. There's always a risk in love, especially those who are your enemies, as Jesus put it. But outside of the Bible, I really don't know any other words that capture for us better than this idea of the risk of love, than the words of C.S. Lewis. I'm sure you probably have heard them before, but they're worth us hearing again. This is what he wrote in his book, The Four Loves. I would invite you to get it. It's a little tiny book. He wrote this. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything. And your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will not be broken. It'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and worries of love is hell. I confess, those words make me queasy. But they're real life. They're real life. This is not that warm and fluffy faith. 
This is not a faith that causes me to try to make people like me and exclude those who are not like me. This is not a faith that causes me to love others only when they love me or like me or are like me or do what I want. This is not a a faith that causes me to try to figure out how to make others to measure up to my standard and my expectations and my want to. This is pricey. This is pricey. This is the pricey and risky stuff of forgiveness and endurance and faithfulness and truth-telling and reconciliation and humility and sacrifice and unselfishness and self-giving. This is the fearless love our world really needs. This is love that sometimes is even birthed in the sadness of relationships. Here's a description of fearless love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But as we grow in that fearless knowledge of knowing that we are loved by God, it may be uncomfortable. It will be. Forget about the maybe part. It will be uncomfortable. It will sometimes be hard. And it's going to take time sometimes. Don't walk out of here saying, well, Pastor Jeff said I should be getting over that hurt like this. No. Sometimes it takes time. But in the love of God, when, we're, when we know we're loved by God, we can push through the fear and take the risk. I've been walking with Jesus a long time. And I'm still learning how to push through the fear and take the risk. Because the truth is, this is what the world needs now. Read the news. Read the headlines. If you notice, we in the church are taking some significant hits for our lack of love at times. Don't get the defenses up. Let's just stop and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us and help us to be the people of God we're supposed to be. We serve the one who stretched out his arms and died. And I noticed that when his arms were nailed and his feet were nailed, he couldn't hit back or kick back. See, our world needs what we're hearing today. All of this gets reduced down to the, those very simple questions. It, it always gets down to this, this statement, these questions, so what? Or what difference does any of this make today? That was the critical issue in the day for John's recipients as they were struggling through many different issues, a division in the church, uh, people wanting to infiltrate it with some ideas of knowledge that separated them from caring for their neighbors. Those kind of things were happening, real-life stuff. 
John's answer is born from his own life experience for sure. But here's his answer. Here's his answer. What difference does it make? Here's his answer. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I sure wish sometimes I could walk down the streets of Nashua and I could bring Jesus with me and go, I want you to meet my friend Jesus. But I can't. No one has ever seen God. This is coming from the one, one of the ones, if you go back to the very first verse of 1 John, he was an eyewitness. He did see him. He touched him. He walked with him. But he's looking at his world, probably at the end of the first century, somewhere around 95 AD. No one has ever seen God, he says. I remember when Bill Treader, when the Treader family used to attend our church, Bill worked for the FAA. I remember when Bill gave me a tour of one of our FAA facilities. It was really rather a delight. It was one of the most impressive experiences I had. But what really amazed me was the redundancy of the systems in that facility. There was the redundant computer backups. There was the most impressive piece was the redundant power supply. I mean, if they lose power, they have redundancy for power. They have to. There was a redundancy of personnel to make sure continuity in an emergency. Well, 1 John is our system of redundancy when it comes to love. I'm not going to belabor the point, but John does. And the point is this. If the world is going to see God, they will only see him when we, his followers, love others. Here it is. You ready? You and I, we are God's redundancy system when it comes to love. We are the system of redundancy when it comes to love. Love, press repeat. Love, press repeat. Love, press repeat. Love, when I see Julie. Love, when I see Fred. Love, when I see Alethea. Love, press repeat. Love, press repeat. We are the redundancy system. And so that, that old lyric, and this is really old, from that song is true. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. The primal longing of humanity is framed in a question. And the question is this, where will I find love? Well, here's the answer. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Resurrection, eternal life, first and foremost gives a hint as to what Jesus is like. And in a world that has not seen God, we become the human display of Jesus. May we do that without fear. So it's crucial for us to know that we ourselves are loved by God because the world is looking for that kind of love, a love that can only come from God. And as William Self said it, if faith makes fear its foundation, it will never be enjoyed. If fear is the foundation, it will be paralyzed and there will be little, if any, inspiration. 
Fear cannot generate love, sympathy, tenderness, or compassion. The fruit of fear ends up being distrust, suspicion, and resentment. A joyless religion is fruitless and loveless. Against the lovelessness of fear, John sets the fearlessness of love. The fearlessness of love. And that all brings us to this table today. It brings us to the fearless Jesus, the fearless Christ. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. We are a people of faith centered on the cruciform life, the self-giving life, recognizing that it was in the self-giving of Jesus that we have found forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. We join the company Jesus was referring to at the cross when he said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. We no longer have to fear judgment. We no longer have to fear sin's failure. We no longer have to even fear death. And because that's true, we do not have to fear those who are not like us. We do not have to fear loving with the love of Jesus. For we are the beloved of God and we live from that point of reference. We live from the deepest of all realities. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live. Through him that we might live. And as we read our text, that means that we might love outside of ourselves to the world. So we come to the table and we place our faith in the one who has loved us with this redeeming love. Let us learn that love from us as well looks like his love for us. And that's what we learn at the table. So I invite you to take the elements this morning. And for those of you at home, if you would prepare your elements as we prepare our elements here in the sanctuary. Peel back the top little plastic piece on your communion today above the foil. We remember that on the night before Jesus Christ was crucified, we remember that he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his followers and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're reminded, oh, how God loves us so. Thanks be to God. Let us participate and eat together. He then took the cup and again he gave thanks to the Father. And he gave the cup to his followers and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant, my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of many. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we're reminded 
that this is the pricey love, the pricey, risky love of forgiveness. That it begins with forgiveness of our own sins in Jesus Christ. And we thank him for this deep love. We are the beloved of God, forgiven of our sins, called to be like him. Let us partake in the cup and let us be thankful for the love of Jesus. pray together. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. Lord, we thank you today for your fearless love for us, that you took the risk to love us. We thank you that we are the beloved of God, that that is the core truth of our existence. Thank you, God, for the depth of your love in Christ. May we walk in that truth. May we walk in that depth. And may our love look like the love you have for us. May we live with fearless love. Because you fearlessly loved and love us still. Thanks be to God. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.